Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. Um, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, and so I want to uh, just tell you a little bit about Reverend Wes Tink. Um, first of all, let me back up and also tell you that a year from now, actually a year from last month, next August 2022, our church is going to be partnering with Reverend Westink and the Front Step Compassionate Ministry in North Philly, Pennsylvania. And so um, we are very excited about this opportunity. Leo Matthew, our, our drummer here this morning, uh, is, is overseeing um, organizing uh, this aspect, this side of that preparation. Um, so if you are interested, and you will be once you hear more about this ministry, you should see Leo and talk to him about that. And let me tell you a little bit about Wes Tink. Um, I've known Wes for quite a long, long time, a lot of years. And one of the things that has always warmed me about Wes is his heart and passion to do God's will and, and see God's purposes go forth, no matter where um, God would have him. Now, it wasn't always that way for Wes. There was a time um, when Wes had no interest in becoming a full-time minister. He had no interest in, in serving God and, and um, I guess, going into full-time ministry. Uh, there was a time when Wes said he decided that he didn't have enough faith to be an atheist, though, after three close brushes with death, and it was time to seek God's purposes and meaning for life. And so that commitment led him to Montreal for six years and then 27 years in New Jersey, all while, while seeking and, and following and serving Christ. Six years ago, Wes became the director of Front Step Ministry Compassionate Center um, in, in North Philly. Now, the Front Step is a compassionate ministry center of the Church of the Nazarene, which brings hope and very tangible help and, and resources and equips people in those, in those very challenging neighborhoods um, with the love of Christ. So you're going to hear more now as Wes comes, and let's give him a great welcome as he comes to speak to us this morning. <laughs> it is indeed a joy to be here. I have never been in this church before, but I felt at home ever since I arrived this morning. And I've met a few of you. There's quite a few of I haven't had a chance to meet yet. I met Ruth Ann. I met Jean. I met Dan. I met uh, Liberty. I met Chris. I met a few others who I didn't know before this morning. But the remarkable thing is all because of Jesus Christ. We are here this morning in person or online because of what happened 2,000 years ago. And praise God that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that gospel is not losing momentum, it's not losing strength, it's not losing power, but down through the centuries, God has accomplished so much, we give him praise. It's a joy for me to be here this morning. When I crossed the border into Maine yesterday, I saw a sign that welcome home. And uh, 
I actually lived in Maine between 1960 and 66 in Skowhegan. So it's been a few years, but I do feel at home and glad to be back here. We've got quite a few slides this morning, so we'll start going through some of those quickly. And uh, there's a few that we'll pause on that I'd like to just share the story of some of the children that we work with. I am privileged to be leading a Nazarene Compassionate Ministry in the city of Philadelphia. And um, some of you that are are a little older in the Church of the Nazarene, you'll remember that uh, quite a few years ago, we talked about foreign missions and we talked about home. See, you're all young. Nobody remembers that. We also talked about home missions. And so the ministry that I lead would have fallen under the title of home missions from quite a long time ago. But um, we're different than a church. Uh, We have a, a nonprofit status. But we don't hold services on Sunday. Uh, We minister to the community between Monday morning and Saturday evening. And uh, we don't have a congregation in the sense of getting together for a service. Uh, We have other creative ways of ministering to people. Uh, We don't take up offerings because the people that we serve, we're there to serve them. I mean, if they want to donate, that's fine. But many of them, as you'll see it a little bit, live in deep poverty. And uh, we're going to look at some of those pictures of the city of Philadelphia right now. How many people have never been to the city of Philadelphia? Raise your hand. Great. Next year in August, there's an opportunity. And we'd love to have you come. This is downtown Philadelphia. Uh, Like many of the great northeastern cities, it's got uh, very impressive buildings downtown. Some of the things that you know about the city of Philadelphia would include the Liberty Bell, uh, Independence Hall, where our uh, Declaration of Independence and our Constitution was crafted that uh, lie at the heart of our nation. Uh, For uh, those that are movie aficionados, uh, Rocky, Rocky Balboa. And I think more people know about Rocky these days than they perhaps do about the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Uh, Right downtown, we have a place called Love Park. By the way, Philadelphia, when you take that word apart, it means the city of brotherly love. And oh, I wish that were true. But it's got a good name, and a lot of people come down to this park in inner city Philadelphia to have their pictures taken. But there's another side to the city of Philadelphia, like there are with many cities. And there's three things I want to highlight this morning briefly. One is poverty, one is drug use, and the third one is violence. This is an area of Kensington and Allegheny, about three to four miles away from our ministry, which is the largest open-air drug mart in the eastern seaboard. I know that your city and your cities and around here are struggling and dealing with drugs, small towns and places all across our nation. There's very few families that aren't touched. But at this location, the, the police will stand there. They'll watch the drugs being taken, the drugs being sold, the drugs being shared. And there's very little that they can do as far as uh, intervening in the process. And so many people are suffering so much. The second thing relating to this um, picture and the following pictures is the violence. 
I'm not proud to say that the city of Philadelphia in 2021 is on track to have the highest murder rate, the highest shooting rate of any city any year in our history by more than 20%. And people are suffering, even within the community that I serve. And let's pause on that slide for just a moment. In the community that I serve, there's hardly a family that hasn't been touched directly or indirectly by someone having suffered from gun violence. This man, you can barely see his face at the bottom. He's out there holding up a placard. Wonderful Christian man. His name is Donnie Andrews. And he mentors young men within our community. And there are now eight young men who he has mentored who have been shot to death. Donnie's heart is filled with love. Donnie cares for these young people. He does what he can to share uh, the love of God and the message of Jesus Christ with them. And he doesn't give up. And you know, a wonderful thing, within our immediate neighborhood, within three or four blocks, there's been very little violence. You say to me this morning, Pastor, you're here to talk about us coming to uh, Philadelphia next August, and now you're talking about all these people getting shot. Well, first of all, I believe in God's protection. I've been there for six years. I haven't been shot. And I believe that God has a special hand of protection upon us in a special way. But this man, Donnie Andrews, and his wife, they walk the neighborhood and they pray over each house. They pray over each family. Do you think that makes a difference? I wish we had people like that walking every neighborhood in our big cities across the nation, praying for the houses, praying for the families, and praying for God's will to be done. Let's keep going forward there. Real quick, some statistics to share with you. Poverty is true all across our nation, in our immediate community. The comparison is that 95% of America is doing better than our zip code. In other words, we're in the bottom 6% economically of the United States. The next slide has to do with education levels. Do we have any teachers here this morning? In the state of Pennsylvania, they rate all of the elementary and middle schools to see how they're doing in relation to the other schools across the state. And it's a scale from zero to 100%. In a good suburban community, the schools probably uh, score around 88 or 92%. In our community, we have three elementary schools within one mile of our ministry. And the score is 12% out of 100%. Now here's a question that I'll ask and see if anybody here knows the answer. According to the last census, not the most recent one, but the previous one, how many children and youth under the age of 18 live within one mile of our building? Does anybody want to hazard a guess? You're right, 19,186. We've got some well-informed people here this morning. 
So with 19,000 children and youth within one mile of our building, God has given us a great location, great mission field, great opportunity. And we don't deal in thousands at our ministry. In fact, we don't even deal usually in hundreds. But the next statistic is the most important one. Out of all those kids, how many does Jesus love? How many did Jesus die for? Every single one of them. And so we try and invest in kids uh, with a long-term approach. We're trying to build a program, a, a, a ministry that goes from infancy until adulthood. And part of the situation is almost every family in our neighborhood wants to get out. And so that can be depressing. That can be discouraging because you invest in some kids and in a family for three, four, five years, and they're doing well, and then as soon as they can, we can finally get out of this neighborhood. But you know what? It doesn't stop what God's called us to do. We're called to plant seeds. We're called to share the gospel. And I have faith that some of these children that we're investing in, even if they don't have the type of discipling in the places that they go, they're going to remember and be touched by the message of Jesus Christ. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, their hearts will be tender towards it. And that's what we pray for. Let me share a few pictures about our ministry. It's called Front Step. Standing next to me is a young lady who is my left arm, my right arm, my memory. Uh, our organization is really quite small. When I started six years ago, it had been shut down for three years. It had run out of money. It had run out of uh, 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 personnel. And so it was really a restart. And so at this point, I'm the only full-time person. And Rachelle is now a half-time employee with us. She started with us as a volunteer when she was 15 years of age. And for the last three summers, she's been our program director for our summer programs, summer camp in the park, sports camps in the park. We have a park right across the street from our ministry center. And I'm pleased to say that as of the 1st of September, she is now uh, 24 hours a week uh, working with us and helping to oversee some of the programs that I'll share with you shortly. She is in her last year of undergraduate studies at Temple University, studying psychology. She wants to work particularly with children and youth, and she is just a great help to our ministry. If we want to round up some kids to come to something that we've got going on, I say, Rachelle, go across to the park and get some kids. She's a child magnet, and they come to her right away, and she says, come on in the front step. We've got something good going on. But you know, Rachelle, for 21 years of age, has got an amazing, amazing story of God's presence. Her biological parents were Muslims who let her go when she was about three years of age. She went through the foster care system and suffered abuse in a variety of different ways. 
When she was 12 years old, she was adopted into a family with a Christian mother. And through that path and with all the wounding, you know, there's a saying, wounded people wound others. But if God intervenes, that's not the case. And wounded people can be healed by God in powerful ways. And Rachel's a testimony to that. Hey, have a basketball camp during the summer. Here's some of our leaders. Not me. Some of the young men, some of the guys that come and play basketball with us in the summertime. We run a summer day camp. Now, a day camp in our situation is different than what your situation would be. The park across the street from us is the playroom for the kids from the neighborhood. And so they can come and go as they please. And we've had children as young as four years of age just show up. We didn't know where they came from. We didn't know where their home was. And they would just come down the street and they'd hang out with us for a while and then they'd disappear. So our summer camp, we don't sit there and register them and sign them in because what we're doing in the park is just providing positive activities, building relationship, and we see it as a port of entry to get to know kids so that we can involve them in other things that are going on within our ministry. Uh, this is part of the basketball camp, the summer camp, and we'll just... Uh, Keep continuing. These are some of our leaders two years ago for our uh, basketball camp. We provide food, we provide snacks, we provide love, we provide stories, and we do all that we can to share Christ's love with these wonderful, wonderful young people. This little guy will drive you right up the wall. But boy, does he respond to God's love. And I think God's got great. Here's a hot dog roast in inner city Philadelphia, right next to our building, our ministry center. So right now in September of 2021, we've got after school five days a week. We've got children's Bible quizzing taking place on Thursdays. Do you do children's Bible quizzing here in your church? If, if you get a chance to get that going, that's one of the best ways to disciple both children's Bible quizzing and teen Bible quizzing. It gets the word of God into the mind. And so many of the young people that learn uh, can hold on to that for years. And it's a fun thing to do. It's an enjoyable thing to do. So we can go through these next pictures pretty quickly. This is what happens on a typical afternoon at our ministry. This past summer, we uh, made a 12-foot by 12-foot mural. There it is. That's part of it that went up on the wall inside our, uh, inside our building. And the kids painted it all. Last year, let's pause there for just a moment. Last year, uh, all the city public schools in the city of Philadelphia were closed from uh, September until June. And so many of the kids at home don't have internet, they don't have computer access, and they don't have a good environment for learning. So we retooled and we were a learning center for kids 
And as children, would, we'd try and equip them with those things. And as they got the things that they needed, we'd send them on home to do it and bring in somebody else. And so throughout the whole school year, we were able to help uh, quite a few children go through the process and to be able to keep in touch with their school. Let me tell you about this next little boy. and We'll pause here for a minute. He was part of our school program all year. His name is Andrew. He's being raised by a single father. He's only a child in the family, no siblings. And uh, Andrew's father had a major stroke six years ago and is confined to a wheelchair. And so uh, Andrew doesn't have a dad that he can go out and throw a football around with or play basketball or anything like that. And so other than going to school, Andrew's big outlet is coming to Front Step and he doesn't miss a day uh, when we're open. And uh, he comes out as much as he can. And just last week, he joined our children's Bible quizzing team on the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Smart little guy. And uh, he's going to do well. We did uh, pop-up vaccinations in May, June, July, August. That's our Bible quizzing team. I got to pause there on that Bible quizzing team for just a minute. Our kids from the neighborhood, almost none of them belong to any church. And yet they did so well at quizzing that when it came to our district quiz finals, our kids came in number one on the district. And, amen. And they took home the big trophy and we praise God for it. Let's keep going. This was this summer, Eastern Nazarene College, summer ministry team. We're going to pause there for just a minute. Yesterday, we started a new program, Christian Christ-Centered Mentoring for Teen and Preteen Girls. And uh, we've been preparing this for two years. We've taken a lot of good training. Uh, the, the lady there that's shorter, is uh, a retired mental health counselor, and she has put so much work into preparing for this mentoring. And uh, these teen and preteen girls will be meeting for two hours every Saturday during the school year and uh, learning basics about life and about how God would have us live life. There's some of our teen and preteen girls. We also just started uh, using our kitchen for cooking classes. And uh, we're going to be teaching healthy cooking on a tight budget to kids from 5 to 12 years of age, kids from 13 to 17 years of age, uh, for adults, for adults that are needing employment, and uh, for adults that are coming back into society after having been away for a while. And that's Chef Bernard. Uh, he's got a cooking show on William Sonoma. And he uh, comes uh, two evenings a week to teach classes for us, does a great job. There's some of the little cooks in training. So next August, when you all come, let me pause there for a moment. You may not all be able to come to Philadelphia next summer. But don't think about this trip as just the people that are going. This trip is for your whole church. It's a work and witness team, 
And everybody in the church can have some role in making it a reality. And so think about it that way. Even if you're not able to get that week off from work or you're not able to go, think about how can I help, how can I assist? And the number one thing that working witness teams or mission teams do with us is to focus on working with the children and youth uh, both directly and indirectly. And these next pictures will show, again, some more pictures of kids uh, helping directly. And helping indirectly includes, we're trying to get some mission housing so that we could get additional staff at our ministry center. We would love to have a home within one block of where our ministry center is so that somebody who's full-time with Front Step can be there on Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays. Somebody that's young, that relates to the children well, the youth well. Our biggest need right now is somebody who can work with the teens and minister to the teens and... Uh, Part of the way we can do that is by being able to provide housing for those people. Our ministry building is over 100 years old, so it always needs maintenance. We've always got leaky roofs. We've always got bricks that are crumbling. We've always got painting that needs to be done. And so that's not directly helping the children and youth, but it sure is a need. And then as that picture shows, we also do acts of kindness and service for the community, especially for the seniors, especially for the disabled. We do what we can to help them out and to help them maintain their properties. So we will be designing with Leo and your leadership uh, the work and witness trip based upon those who are able to come, what your skills, what your abilities, what your passions are, but we're able to offer so many different opportunities that will fit well with that. Now this team came from upstate New York a couple of years ago, and if you look in the first row of those that are standing up, you're gonna see one person at least there that you recognize. You see Pastor Nancy there? She was there with us in uh, July of 2018, and this is the team that she came with. And one of the things that they did during the week, they did a whole bunch of things that were such a great help to us. But one of the ministries that we like to do when we're able is do extreme makeover of kids' bedrooms. Many of the kids in our street and in our neighborhood uh, do not have windows in their bedrooms. Some of them don't have furniture. Some of them don't have lighting. Some of them don't have adequate situation where they'd be proud to have anybody else come in or to be able to study in a good way. So we had a little girl, five years of age, by the name of Tiaget, who just lived six houses down the street from us. And so we decided when that team came, to do an extreme makeover of her bedroom and we got her mom's permission. We sat down with mom, and let's pause on that one for a moment. We sat down with mom and Tiaget and we said, Tiaget, what's your favorite color? Purple. What's your favorite animal or insect? Butterflies. What would you like your bedroom to look like? 
And then we gathered all the things together and pre-painted it. And for two days or maybe three days, we didn't let Tiaget go into her bedroom. We kept her out, prepared, brought everything in, painted the walls just the way she liked it, and uh, put the butterflies across the wall and up the ceiling. And in just a moment, you're going to see the face of Lil Tiaget the first time she walked in to see what her new bedroom looked like. Let's pause there for just a minute. Tia Jay then was five years of age, and she had five brothers, four brothers older than her, one brother younger than her, raised by a single mom, and her mom at this time was about 41 years of age. And uh, some things happened over the last two or three years. The two older boys moved out and other things happened. Anyway, Tia Jay and her mom, who's standing in the back there taking the picture, this past February went to go stay at grandma's house in another part of Philadelphia. And so they went on Friday. They stayed Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Let's keep going through these next pictures. There's Tia Jay when she likes to, she loves to sing. She loves to do karaoke. She's a good singer. There's where she's playing this past year. And here's her sitting in the blue shirt with some of her friends. But this picture was taken in June of this year. In February, on Monday morning, she walked into grandma's room and said, Mama's lying on the floor and I can't wake her up. And little Tia Jay, at eight years of age, had found her mother dead in the bedroom that they were sleeping in. And uh, it's been a tough adjustment. When this picture was taken, Tia Jay was dealing with deep depression, I believe. And she's doing better now, but uh, she's now being adopted by her 73-year-old grandmother. And uh, she and her brothers are not living together. They're at different houses, different situations. But you know what? Tia Jay comes to Front Step every time she can. And she gets love and nurturing and additional support and encouragement. And this past year, this year, 2021, Tia Jay was our number one Bible quizzer and she went to the national finals in Maryland and did really well. And so we praise God just for the opportunity to be able to minister to Tiaget. She's going through a life transition right now. She's going to have to change schools. She's going to be moving. We probably won't see very much of her in the months ahead. But you know what? For the last five years, we've been able to minister to Tiaget and to share the gospel and the love and the message of Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that has been. So when is your work and witness trip, your mission trip to Philadelphia, August the 21st to the 27th? And actually, I believe it's going to be a little shorter than that. Uh, check with Leo to get the specific details, but that's basically the week. Let's keep going. Raising funds 
Funds go to accommodation, to travel, to uh, food. Everybody wants to eat when they're in Philadelphia. And also some mission funds to help us accomplish the things that we do. And so uh, Leo can give you the details on that, and those are all worked out uh, very precisely. But we don't want anybody to not be able to come because of funds and funding. And so your church together can raise funds. There's a variety of different ways you can do it. Maybe somebody who's not able to go can sponsor somebody who is able to go. And I just believe that there's going to be a great team coming, and God is going to, Jehovah Jireh, God is the provider, and God's going to provide all that's needed. So there we are. That's our building. And we praise God for it. Thank you so much for being able to share. The other opportunity I have this morning is to share from God's word. And your pastor asked me a few weeks ago, he said, we're in a series and our focus is serve others, save others. And he said, would you mind preaching on one of the most well-known passages, one of the parables of Jesus Christ, the Good Samaritan. And I said, I'd be delighted. That's such a wonderful passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10, or the words will also be on our screen this morning. And let's take a look at it together. Would you stand with me for a word of prayer? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the joy of living a Christian life. You make all things new. And Lord, you also give us the opportunity to truly love, truly serve others. And what a privilege and joy that is. Speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. And Lord, don't let this speaker interfere with the message that your Holy Spirit wants to deliver to each person. But speak around them or speak through them as you choose. But may each of us be able to say we have heard from God and that God is leading us forward as we say yes. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen. Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This expert in the law asks two very fundamental and important questions that every one of us as human beings, and especially every one of us, as Christians should be grappling with and should know the answer to. The first one that he asked is, what must I do to, etern to inherit eternal life? And my friends, if we can translate that and the answer to that for our friends, for our unsaved loved ones, for those that we know, oh, what a blessing it is to be able to share that with others. And Jesus is going to show us the answer in here. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
The expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. That's at the core of what we're at and what, who we are as Christians, isn't it? The two great commandments. The expert in the law, it says, wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And here's where Jesus starts that beautiful parable. Six different people mentioned in relation to this parable. Some as models of how not to do it, and some as models of how life is to be lived. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, it's only about 15 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when it says down, yes, it was down, because in altitude it goes down about 3,500 feet. But the more important thing is that along that path, which could be walked in one day quite easily by most people, it was very dangerous. There were large rocks, there were boulders, there were caves, there were places where people could hide. And that's what regularly happened. As people would travel along this route, many times the robbers would beat them up and in some cases kill them. There was a stretch of this road that was called the way of blood, the way of blood, because so many were accosted and beaten and robbed along this stretch. Jesus continues, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. As people of God, we are people of hope. As people of God, we are called by God to be ministers. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You are a person of hope to those around you. I am a person of hope to those around me. And one would think that a priest in this situation the one who mediates between God, the one who performs the sacrifices, the one that studies the Torah, learns the word of God, and shares the hope with others would be a person of hope in this situation. Both the priest and the Levite were people of hope, close to the center of God's power, but both, of course, in this story are examples of how not to love our neighbors. Someone asked me recently, what's the relationship between a priest and a Levite? Well, the priest had special roles, but they were always Levites. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. And the priests had the special roles in relation to the sacrifices, and the Levites were the ones that helped and supported them in those roles. And so in a very real sense, it's a little bit like pastoral ministry, and lay congregation. They're both needed, they both work together, they support each other, they help each other. But in this situation, neither one of them expressed and showed the love of God in ways that showed them to be a true neighbor. So let's not spend more time on them. 
Not a good example. Let's instead look at the good example. I understand that for someone who is blind and they want to learn the different dollar denominations by feel, they don't spend their time feeling counterfeit money. They spend their time feeling real money. And as they feel the real money, they learn this is a $5 bill, $10 bill, $20 bill. I had a good friend that showed this to me. He'd been blind all of his life. And he said, I learned to work in a store as a cashier based upon having studied the real thing, the actual dollars. Let's look at the real thing here. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Very quickly, we're going to look at these verses, and these are action words. These are words of doing, not just of looking and seeing and feeling. These are nine things that the Good Samaritan did that distinguishes him as a true neighbor to others. And these are a model for us in our life. In verse 33, it says, he saw him. The priest and the Levi had seen too. But I think probably they covered up as quick as they could. I don't want to see that. I don't want to have part of it. I don't want it to intrude on my day and what I'm doing. Jim, earlier today, mentioned about the people along the road that have up the signs and are asking for financial assistance. Every day in the city of Philadelphia, I pass some of those people on the Roosevelt Boulevard, and I say, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And I don't always have the answer, and sometimes it's overwhelming. But you know, the question is, is our heart tender? Are we truly seeing, and are we open to doing what God would have us do in those situations? So first of all, he saw the beaten man. Secondly, he was empathetic. He took pity on him. He was emotionally connected. Are we emotionally connected to the needs of those who are suffering around us? Yes, I know it can be emotionally exhausting, and we can't solve all of them. We can't attend to all the needs. We're not Christ. We're not God. We don't have that type of power. But in those situations where God speaks to us, are we willing, ready, and able to have a response and an empathy and be able to have an openness to what God would have us do? What does the Good Samaritan do? He went to him. That's pretty scary right there. This man's already been beaten up. Who knows who lurks behind those rocks? Maybe the same thing will happen to me. Risk. If we are to be God's people in God's way as neighbors, there are times of risk that God is going to call us to. And I know my preference is to stay as safe as possible in every situation, to protect to make things as risk-free as possible. But my friends, I know sometimes God calls us to go to those places that may be outside of our comfort and outside of what other people may be called to. 
When we talk about the children in the city of Philadelphia and all the problems and all the crime and all the drugs and all the violence and all that type of stuff, God does not call Christians to go away from all that stuff. That's what heaven's about. We'll be away from it there. But in this life, sometimes God calls us to be at the source, to run in there like the first responders do, and to be people who are willing to put ourselves at risk for what God would have us do. So the Good Samaritan, verse 34, went to the beaten man and bandaged his wounds. Did he bring bandages with him that day? I don't know. The man had already had all of his clothing stolen and taken away from him. So I would imagine this begins to show the self-sacrifice of the Good Samaritan. Maybe he's beginning to tear up some of his own clothes, tear up some of his own cloth, use that to cover the wounds that are taking place. Maybe in addition to risk, here's where he's starting to really pay in a way that costs himself sacrificially. It says that he poured on oil and wine. He took from his means to try and bring healing. We cannot do a lot as far as the, the, the hurt and the suffering that people are going. But what God says to us sometimes is, what's in your hand? What do you have that will help in this situation? And you think about Moses. Moses didn't have all kinds of special tools and things. God said, what is in your hand? And he takes the basics of what we have and says, if you use it, I'll bring the healing. And God accomplishes what needs to be done in that situation. So he takes the man and he puts him on his own donkey. Now he's got to walk. And the man rides the donkey and he takes him to an inn and he takes care of him overnight. And then the next day he takes out two silver coins. Here again, from his resources, helping and assisting the other. I've looked up to try and find out what the coins were worth in this situation. And there's a lot of variation amongst the, the, the commentators. But probably the two coins would have covered the cost of the inn for somewhere between two and six weeks. Are we willing to do those type of things for people we don't know? People who aren't our family? People who just happen to be lying there in the road? And then he goes on, and this is such a beautiful thing. He says to the innkeeper, we don't know if that innkeeper was going to be honest and truthful, but he says, take care of him and whatever extra expense it costs. When I return, I will take care and compensate you for it. In other words, he's giving a blank check. This good Samaritan cared for this man, this beaten man, as if it were his own son, as if it were his own daughter. He cared and showed the love that we show for ourselves. And my friends, it reminds me and it draws my mind to the fact of, God, how can I love more greatly, more fully? And the reality is in my power and strength, I can't. We're talking about agape love. We're talking about God's love. And if we're going to be sharing, and I know this church is mission-minded, I've already seen and heard stories of how much love is being shown through your church and, and to the people whose lives you touch. 
But just like the concept of holiness, it's not a static situation, it's a dynamic situation. And every day there's the opportunity for growth, for change, for transformation. Every day God's going to bring somebody new into our path that needs this kind of love. And our question is, how do we respond? Let's go to the next slide. And the following. Have you got somebody in your life like this? Oh no, they're not lying naked on the ground. But maybe inside they are. Maybe they look really good. Maybe they're dressed up. Maybe they look like they've got it all together. But is there some people in our life who have been so beaten up, so robbed by the world, that they've come to their last moments unless somebody steps in, somebody aids, somebody shows the love of Christ? My friends, the church is God's last and best word on attending to the suffering. And as you and I continue living our lives, looking, seeing, taking the risk, experiencing the self-sacrifice, going to the person, caring for them, God will work and does work powerfully to change them, to change us, and to change the world. May it be so. Lord, take this meager meal and use it for your blessing. Accomplish what you desire to do. And may we be people that live as Christ would have us live and love in all that we do. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much.
grace again Less of me and more of you I just want to see you move I hear you call I am available I say yes Lord I am available I hear you call I am available I say yes Lord I am
gutsy prayer to pray. What a bold, gutsy prayer to say, Lord, here I am. I am available. Use this one and only life. And maybe this morning you've been hearing the, the message Pastor Tink and, and this prayer that was so beautifully sung by Lexi and saying, I feel that urging from the Lord to just say, yes, Lord, <laughs> send me to Philadelphia, send me across the street, help me to be a beacon of grace and love to my neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we, and close out our service. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us for giving us purposes uh, beyond our imagination, Lord, uh, uh, plans to, to, to accomplish your purposes, to partner with you in the greater things that you're doing in our world, whether it's here in South Portland, in the Cumberland County area, or in, in Pennsylvania, Lord, in Philadelphia, in a, in a neighborhood that uh, so desperately needs your help, your touch, your love. The truth is, Lord, we, we live in a world that is just desperate for you, desperate for healing, desperate for, for a way up, a hand up, desperate for the love of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us a heart that says, here am I. I'm available. Send me. Lord, thank you for the message this morning. Thank you for the way you're working. Thank you for this work and witness that's coming up in about 11 months and for impressing upon our hearts how we could partner with you for your greater purposes. I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to speak with Reverend Wes Tink on your way out, he's at a table uh, out in the foyer. And also, if you'd like to donate to the causes of the work of Front Step Ministry, there is a, a little box on that table uh, to, to donate to. Thank you so much and God bless.